from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200-WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Andy Pilato, and we are going to be talking about effective cyber training. So if uh, you're in information technology and thinking, man, I would like to get some cyber skills, or if you're a kid on a cyber patriot team going, what should I be studying this summer so I can do better for my team next year? Or if you're just thinking, maybe I want to get into the cybersecurity stuff and information technology, but I don't really know much about it at all. If you'll stay tuned with us here on 1200WAI for the next hour, you will have the opportunity to learn this. If you can't stay with us on the radio uh, for the full hour, you can pick this up on Tuesday uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. You can also look it up on our YouTube channel, uh, iTunes Podcasts or uh, Pocket Casts or whatever else your favorite podcasting app is on Android. Uh, You can also catch the uh, back catalog of uh, all of our past episodes where we've talked to uh, some Cyber Patriot coaches, some Cyber Patriot kids, and uh, all sorts of other things uh, about cybersecurity information training and, and technology. Uh, Andy, thank you very much for joining us this week. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So let's uh, go back a little bit in in your background and history. Uh, How did you end up in cybersecurity? I had fixed a computer for a friend of mine, and they decided that I'd be a a good fit for the AFSER, which is the Air Force's computer emergency response team. So you were in the Air Force? Nope. No, not yet. I was just a contractor. Oh, okay. I was actually uh, storing chemicals for a living, uh, hazardous chemicals. And I just was good with computers otherwise. Yeah. Somebody came over to my house, and I fixed their computer. And then I found myself at the AFSERT. There you go. Walking in, thinking I was the smartest person there. Yeah. It's a big mistake. Big mistake. Yep. So I, they sat me down. They said, hey, monitor this network, or these networks, these bases. And I sat down, and I had no idea what I was looking at. I got firsthand cyber training right there in the beginning, without any training whatsoever. Yeah. It's much more organized now these days. Oh, it's days. much more organized now, which, yeah. which, is, which is a good point. Um, my, my point was this on, on training. I didn't have any training. And so... I didn't understand what I was looking at. And then someone brought me back to a back room where they did uh, the security lab. And they showed me how, he was showing me how he scanned the network and then how that looked on my monitor screen I was looking at. And once I saw the correlation between what he was doing and what I was seeing, it all became very clear. Yeah. And those are, those are the kind of things that, that, that weren't in official training. That was the hands-on kind of stuff that we're talking about. And so um, after that, after, after I saw that, it became very clear and I moved up pretty quickly and, and decided that actually I wanted to do attack instead of defense. So. Yeah. And yeah, so for, for quite a while over on the, the west side of San Antonio, the Air Force talked about defending military bases and protecting uh, our nation on the defensive side. Uh, over the last couple of years now, they've started talking about offensive capabilities and, and about cyber as a weapons platform uh, and all the things we need to do both on the attack and defense side to uh, protect our nation. And some of this is, is you look into uh, now helping kids learn these things more. You've got the Cyber Patriot program, which was uh, Air Force's brainchild to, to start uh, getting kids exposed to cybersecurity. Uh, it teaches kids all the defensive side of things. So parents out there, if the Cyber Patriot's not teaching your kids to be a hacker, 
They may learn what hackers do. They may be creative kids and, and get some extra skills. Uh, but it's really about teaching them ethics, responsibility, and how to defend uh, businesses, how to detect what hackers have done. It's a, a great team sport. Uh, highly encourage uh, you to uh, let your kids get involved in that. And if they're hanging out on their computer at all hours of the night, they may not just be goofing off. That's correct. I, yeah. I'm a cyber mentor now, uh, technical, working with uh, Warren High School. And yeah. uh, the kids are great. Uh, we, just, we just got done. We went, CNF went to, uh, my company went to uh, uh, the, uh, the, the cup, the mayor's cup, and met a bunch of kids there. They're all really, really sharp. Nothing like we were when we were kids. These guys are really, really sharp. And my dilemma there, too, was training. How do I train someone to do cyber? From my perspective, cyber is the thing you do after you learn everything else. Yeah. So, networking and computers and applications and ports and firewalls and all that stuff has to be learned before you even become close to learning cyber so i struggle a lot with the kids too like how do i teach a kid from going from zero to like you know a cyber guy and, and go into competition you know so there's there's tools out there to do that there's some technologies out there that that uh that scoring engine they use or there's some out available out there we just found recently and we're looking into getting that uh, going for the kids this year so we're really excited about this year yeah now, the, the, as I think about cybersecurity or any type of security, you've got to understand how the system is built first, uh, how the blocks are put together before you can understand where the weak spots might be, where the flaws might be, and, and what to watch for. That's correct, yeah. That goes into another, another aspect of training I like to talk about is the, the cross-training of it. So we do exercises, and, and we, so developers develop software, you know, maintainers maintain software, operators operate. How do you get all those guys to understand what each other does? If you get a developer to develop software for a GUI and he never sits down to use that GUI, he doesn't understand that that's hard to use. Same thing with cyber. So you try to get everybody together in one room. And, and those, that's, really, that's where extra, uh, the Air Force exercise I've been, I've been going to for a while have really uh, made a big difference in, in how to train overall everyone that's involved. You know? Yeah. So how long uh, were you uh, with the AFCERT? Two years, actually. Two years. I just, as soon as I got my clearance, I went to another contractor to do offensive stuff. Yeah. And the offensive stuff is another good way of training people. So we used to be, uh, we'd go in, we'd have get-out-of-jail-free cards. We'd go attack people, and they'd pay us to, to uh, you know, attack their network and attack their people and tell them, this is where you're vulnerable. And we'd yeah. do Air Force Networks, and we do uh, commercial companies, too. So the, the good thing about that kind of training is... It doesn't, you never forget that time that you let me in and I told on you and I said, hey, you know, your, your physical security is no good. You, this person just walked through the door and I, and I walked right behind her, those kind of things. Those, those, those are called shaming, training shamings, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but we, yeah, we, we did that for, uh, and SecureInfo was, was, a, was a good company to work for. I met Fred there. Actually, Fred actually started the AFSERT. Uh, he was a founder of the AFSERT, which is my boss now. So I've actually followed Fred around most of my career, one way or another. And most of the people that work for CNF also. Uh, have followed us and we're all one big group and we're all happy about that. Yeah, so we, I've worked with the same guys for, for 15 20 years now So yeah, for those uh, on that that offensive side there uh, if you wanted to hire uh, Someone to try to break into your business and test your cybersecurity. You can uh, look for penetration testing services uh, That's typically what they're called out there in the that's industry correct. And uh, that's hiring folks to try to find the flaws in, in your system, see how far in they can get, how uh, many systems they can escalate their privileges on, and what sort of information uh, they can look to, to exfiltrate from uh, your environment out to a, a spot where they could then do what they wanted with that information. It's good to, to test this because these are things that, that criminals are trying to do to your business every single day on the Internet. Um, if you, you wanted to learn a little bit about how often things are getting hacked, just uh, 
toss into your favorite search engine, Project HoneyNet. Um, it's a, <laughs> so there's a things out there called honeypots that, that they attract poo bears, um, but they also attract hackers. Uh, and, and with those, you can see uh, just how much folks are going after uh, exposed systems uh, out there um, on, on the Internet. It's, it's not a, a safe and peaceful place. Yeah, and you can, you can secure a system all day long. You can you can have all the defenses in the world. If you can't get that user to stop clicking on email links, they're always going to get you're always going to get attacked. They're always going to hack. So, those penetration tests also act as a training exercise for the people that work there because they get they get a little bit messed up and we call them, lie to them, and trick them. Yeah, they don't get tricked again the second time as easy as the first time. Uh -huh. So those those are those are really good remembering training exercises. You can tell someone all day long don't do it, but when they do it and they get caught doing it, they learn better. For sure, yeah. Back, uh, I, I did some um, penetration testing at the start of my career, and on Monday and Tuesday on a week-long project, we would try to find some real sophisticated way to get into the business, um, something real elegant. By Wednesday morning, we would just send an email to everybody, <laughs> everybody. and then we would have 10 systems we had user-level <laughs> privileges on, maybe <laughs> one or two we had admin privileges because those users were running as an administrative user when they clicked on the email. And then back in those days, by the time you were beyond the firewall inside someone's network it was uh, a hot mess in there uh, we're getting better these days with uh patching and updating so if you think about your computer and you know that you're like keep hitting cancel on that windows update please let it run uh, if you're running windows xp still please don't connect that computer to the internet anymore um, there's not a, a way to keep a windows xp system secured <laughs> unless you know how to write custom patches and updates and replace tcp drivers and ssl stacks and all sorts of other things uh inside of your operating system because microsoft stopped supplying security patches for windows xp yeah microsoft released windows xp 17 years ago so even <laughs> if you think if they did extended support on that operating system for and and kept managing it for a decade they haven't been writing patches for seven years and They've actually provided a few even beyond that 10-year deadline because they were just things that were getting exploited so often on the Internet they felt obligated to go back and try to figure out how to patch them. But uh, it, it was uh, not one where all of the things 17 years ago, operating system vendors weren't thinking about all the, the attack vectors that uh, are well-documented these days. Yes, I remember distinctly at the after one day, them coming and being so excited about something got hacked. They were going to find something, and they asked what the operating system was. And they said Windows 95, and they all just kind of shrugged their shoulders and walked away because there was going to be no logging and nothing going on there. Yeah. yeah I agree. At CNF Technologies now, uh, what are you all working on there? So I came to CNF Technologies in 2008 after Secure Info. And again, Fred was, you know, hounded me about coming to work with him, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to, and I liked where I was, but in the end, you know, he convinced me to come over, and I'm so glad he did. Um, we started working, the first project was an airborne networking project where we did cyber on a plane, that was pretty cool. We had a little firewall that fit on a plane that did IDS, IPS, and a firewall, and an antivirus, and uh, when we were doing that one, there was a, it was a project that was coming out for bid, and we, we that work was the same. It was uh, the INDS contract, which uh, dealt with the information operations platform, IOP, which is the Air Force's big enterprise IDS system. That doesn't go on a plane very good. It's pretty heavy. But uh, we started working on that, um, and we won that contract. So that was a good, that was a, one, of a, one of our bigger contracts that we won. And uh, we've been working there ever since. I, I was on site working there for the last several years and just recently started coming out to be CTO more and doing stuff like this where I get to talk on the radio and those kind of fun things. But uh, CNF is, uh, was founded in 2005. Um, we're doing about uh, 10 million this year. 
Uh, we have about 90 employees looking to be more, probably over 100 by the end of the year. Uh, we're deeply experienced, laser focused on cybersecurity. Uh, 90% of our employees have like uh, TS clearances. Uh, our common, we, we do reverse engineering, software development, software engineering, uh, network engineers, uh, DCO analysts, and those kind of things. Um, again, our founder was Fred Ramirez. Uh, been following him around for years. Um, he was recently inducted into the Texas Hall of Fame, Texas, the Cyber Texas Foundation's Hall of Fame, which was pretty cool. And then uh, the other co-owner, Roxanne, she just took over as CEO. And ever since she's been CEO, we've been doing even better. Um, uh, we're now one of the lar uh, second largest cybersecurity companies in San Antonio. And she's won numerous awards for being a great CEO. And, and she's like my second mom, but she treats me just like my first. I'm really happy with the company. Yeah, so uh, for those listening outside the San Antonio area, uh, this is uh, kind of one of our, our pretty typical stories is uh, you may not have heard of them uh, and because uh, most of our, our cyber folks here are doing something related to Department of Defense. They'll have a decade-long story, um, some interesting things, but they're not out doing um, as many media interviews and, and other things as a uh, Silicon Valley cybersecurity startup may uh, try to go do from an outreach perspective. But with uh, where we are in the, uh, the talent market now and uh, with the, the shortage uh, we're all seeing on cyber operators, uh, everyone's figuring out this balance now a little bit of how do I get my name out enough that cool people want to come work for me, but not so much that we're off doing more marketing and advertising than we are actually delivering of services. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, coming out and joining us. And uh, just another example as well of a, a female cybersecurity CEO. Um, we've uh, had on uh, Angel Crockett, another uh, here in town, uh, one of our episodes um, on when I had her on, we talked a little bit about uh, drones and some other things that were in the newspaper recently. So if you wanted to learn a little bit more about that, um, you can check us out on uh, our podcasts on iTunes or Pocket Casts on Android. Um, and if you're listening to us live on 1200 WAI right now, uh, thank you for joining us on the air. Uh, I was mentioning that uh, we're also up on our website, available for rebroadcast. I've been talking with Andy a little bit about uh, his background, uh, some about cybersecurity training. We talked a little bit about Cyber Patriot. Um, you, Andy, you'd also mentioned a bit about the social engineering and tailgating. Uh, we did a, a, a whole a program on uh, a social hacking. Um, so if you don't know what a drop test is, um, please go back and listen to that, that past broadcast. And um, the short answer is, well, if you see a USB key laying on the floor of your parking garage, please don't pick it up and plug it into your computer. <laughs> I just recently uh, was at an FBI uh, event, and they were doing the, the dog and pony show. And uh, it sure is nice now watching them do the dog and pony show. They have Metasploit and all these cool tools. We had to do it by hand back then. So I was like yeah. watching the guy doing the same thing we were doing a long time ago, but a lot more now. And he yeah. did a really good job of going through each of the things. And one of the things he talked about was these USB keyboards where you program instructions into it. You plug it in like a USB stick and it actually just does stuff. Yeah. And there's a couple of different kinds of those. Yeah. And you can buy them on the Internet yeah. for Ducky, 30 duck, to 60 bucks. Duckies yeah. or whatever they're called. Yeah. And one of the coolest things he did, I thought it was really interesting, was he, he, had, he had put a, a, a wireless access point there and called it AT&T. And everybody in the room that had their, their wireless on connected to it, and he knew everybody in the room's name and, and, their, and their phone numbers and their, their, those kind of things. It was kind of neat. Yeah, that may be on, on a future program episode where we, we talk about uh, all this data privacy and information gathering. Folks, it's not just Facebook that is collecting information on you. Yeah, um, that's very it, true. There's also a lot of other businesses that, frankly, businesses do a pretty good job 
trying to keep the information they collect confidential and they try to use it for the things that they describe they're going to use it for in their terms of service. You may not like all of those things. If you don't like those, you can opt out. Uh, it's the nefarious folks that don't follow data privacy and collection laws. They don't have a terms of service. Their terms of service are they're going to collect as much as they can about you and then they're going to go sell it to whoever will pay them the most money with the least risk for them getting arrested. Yeah, so Andy, I, I know it's uh, been a while since you've uh, agreed to do an interview, and I, I promise not to ambush you on the program here today. <laughs> but uh, so, what what happened the last time you you did an interview with some media? Well, first of all, I didn't agree to this; I was forced to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the very first time I was interviewed, uh, it was at, it was at a company called Secure Info, and, and I was the dog and pony guy that would take the clients in and and show them how to hack and scare the heck out of them. And they bought a newspaper guy in one day, a reporter, to talk to me about that, that very thing. So we talked for several hours, and, and I set up a little uh, dog and pony hack where a phishing attack where he would come to me as a browser, come to my address, and I would steal his data and steal his and own his system. And he, his eyeballs were real big, and it was really shocking to him. And we started talking about hackers and hacking and this and that. And he asked me questions, and I answered them honestly. You know? And he asked me if I knew any hackers, and I said yes. And then he asked me about, uh, you know, they know what you do for a living. Aren't they scared of you? And I'm like, no, no, no. I know who they are. They know who I am. You know, those kind of things. And then he told me that, you know, on Saturday that I was going to be in the paper to go check it out. So on Saturday, you know, we're looking at the paper. And at first, I didn't see it because it was such an obnoxious thing. But on the very first page of the business section, there's this huge picture of me with the big caption saying, a hacker's nightmare. And the article went on to say that all hackers were shaking in their boots, that Andy's going to stop all hacking. And it was all the stuff that I had said. Like, I had said that. Hackers know me and I know them. I was talking about my friends. He made it sound like all hackers, all hackers know who I am. And it was just totally out of context, which sent me into hiding for several years. I was afraid I was going to get attacked for real. Uh, most of my family thought it was funny and cool. And most of my friends thought that I was going to be dead by the end of the week. So there you go. You're still here, though. So. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm, I'm back now. So here, here we go. Yeah. Good luck to me. Yeah. Try number two. But, for, but for years now, we've, we've done those kind of things where we would use those dog and pony shows and we'd go, we'd get penetration testing gigs and some of the more fun penetration testing gigs were things where they do physical security. You know, I yeah. had a company tell me, Hey, you know, we need, want you to go in. I'm afraid that people aren't taking care of their laptops very well. So I want you to come and steal a laptop from the company. And I, of course, just like this interview, I agreed to it without knowing anything about it. And I realized I get there, it was on the sixth floor of a building. And uh, my job was only to go in and steal a laptop. I get to the sixth floor and I come out in the elevator. There's a restroom and there's a guard and there's two cipher doors on your side. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to be able to even get in. This is ridiculous. So I just went to the restroom, which is a common place to go to figure out how you're going to get in somewhere. As, as I was in the restroom thinking about it, somebody opened the door of the restroom and walked in, and I saw the big door closing as he walked, that, walked through it, the cypher door. So I just made a V-line and got in, and now I'm in. So I walked around for several hours looking for a laptop to steal, but everybody's laptop was being used, you know. So I, I did what I was doing and messed around a little bit, and I, and I wasn't supposed to do anything else except take a laptop. So I decided I was going to go talk to the CEO who had hired me to tell him that I wasn't going to be able to find a laptop. So I went into his office, and he wasn't there. You know. And his laptop was there now. <laughs> his laptop was there, though. Uh -oh. It was wide, wide open. So I, I disconnected real quick, closed it, and took it out. And I walked through those same double doors, and I went to the elevator. And it was the longest, like, minute and a half pushing the elevator, just sweat going down the side of my cheek, waiting, because the guard's sitting there watching me. And I'm just yeah. like, don't ask me no questions. Don't ask me no questions. <laughs> so I get in the elevator, and I go downstairs. And back then, I used to smoke cigarettes. So I went outside to smoke a cigarette to, to go look at his laptop, because he'd actually left it open, too. So it was, it was open for me. So I went downstairs, and uh, I guess in the smoking area, and I opened the laptop up, and I 
but got my cigarette up. I didn't have a, I didn't have a lighter, you know. So I'm looking around for a lighter, and the security guy was walking over. And he goes, "Oh, you need a light, you know." So he's lighting my cigarette while the CEO just happened to walk by, looked over at me and came over, and he goes, "Is that my laptop?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, I'm sorry, it's the only one I could find," you know. So that was one of my one of my favorite stories to tell. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, physical security is a, a tricky uh, one to deal with because, and this is it's a really easy one to talk about. Uh, for folks to understand yeah. it's in the physical security side of things if you have what they call man traps like where you have to you've got a badge in you got to stand there you got to verify your you before you can go into the next area if, if you have everyone's laptop locked down to a, a chain on the desk with a key uh, if you have um, multiple zones and areas where you've got a badge into and maybe biometrics between different areas in the buildings this slows folks down. Uh, people don't like all of that overhead. I mean, there's uh, folks I know that work like where they'll go into a man trap. They actually put their cell phone. They get scanned for electronic devices there. They make sure when they're actually going into the secured portion of the facility, they don't have any electronic devices on them at all when they go in there. Uh, and and all of that is a big inconvenience and overhead. But it's the, you start looking at it's the what you have to do to really stay safe yes um, definitely. and on the physical security side people are like i don't want to do all that i'll just deal with somebody like andy eventually sneaking in and, and <laughs> finding the one laptop to steal like because no one's really going to do what andy did on that test that's their thought and uh, maybe they won't but across the internet it's not just one andy it's across the internet it's a whole bunch of stolen computers that have software on them looking for the one loose laptop all the time and it doesn't cost the hacker any time or real energy they're using something they already stole they're using that person's energy and resources to look for for targets so well you might be able to get away with not having all your laptops locked down and not having man traps in and out of your facility and all the rest of that uh you probably can't get away with that same sort of stuff on the internet these days yeah there are there are some real bad people out there andy's more of a nuisance to society than a threat but there are some threats out there so after going through and, and doing all this cybersecurity stuff uh for a while now do you feel like we're getting better on the defensive side of things is the world becoming a, a smarter place or are the attackers coming up with new attacks faster than we can come up with new defenses you know it's always it's always the same thing so it used to be firewalls just keep them out now it's now it's fishing you know so they just they just find different ways of doing it i'm not sure what the answer is except to keep moving on and keep doing it yeah. um, i don't think there's ever going to be a way to stop it altogether. No. but you definitely can like do things that make make it more um, you know more secure but uh, yeah, the, the whole phishing thing now is really, really bad. Um, that FBI agent that did that, that uh, demo sent a really cool looking email from Amazon. The lady clicked on it. They owned the box because of yeah. a browser. Because of a browser. Now, now browser, if they could have patched the browser, it would have not happened. Yeah. But she actually thought she was going to Amazon, put her password in, and gave it back to them. Yeah. Please and, patch <laughs> your systems. And, th and then the, the tool actually redirected it. So she the next time, so she put her password in once, he got her password username. When she went to do it again, it was actually Amazon. She actually logged in, so it actually never really. She never really thought anything was going on. Yeah, barely really, left. Really, really a, barely left a trace. Yeah, it's really really neat. And then he was, you know, he, of course he had his uh, thing. It was a, it was a typical scenario where the the email said, "Hey, thanks for your purchase for seventy eight dollars." And like me, I'd be like, "Which one of my kids <laughs> just spent seventy five dollars on on Amazon?" You know, so I'd go look. Yeah, I wouldn't click on the link, but a lot of people do that. A lot of people do click on links. No, and it's it it it's not even yet yeah, just the links anymore these days. The phishing uh, attacks and exploits are getting. Uh, much more uh, sophisticated yeah, if you, even if you have just uh, 
your email client turned on to process HTML and JavaScript and load all of that stuff, there have been exploits in email clients where you yep. just open that email and highlight it. You don't click and do anything, and then it will log in and take over your box from there. Yeah, and then there's all kinds of cell phone stuff, too. The guy was showing on cell phone stuff where he was able to just, you go to the application of the, the cell phone, you just click download that application and run it, there's cameras and there's speakers and there's walking video walking around, walking around following the guys around. It's really, really, really bad. You have to be really careful what you're doing out there. Yeah. yeah. If, if your cell phone is in your pocket and you're walking along listening to us on a podcast right now and it's really warm, that's not just your phone yeah. doing the podcast. That's it's true. probably running other things in the background that someone else is using your phone for. That's very true. So, uh, yeah, it's and it's hard from a, a malware detection perspective on phones these days. So uh, one that uh, I recommend for folks is don't necessarily have to go out and buy a new phone, but you should back everything up on that phone and uh, go ahead and uh, wipe the operating system and start over every once in a while. So, uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a break here at the bottom of the hour for a news, traffic, and weather update. Andy and I are going to be back to talk about building out your own training lab environment. If you're not going to be able to stay with us after the break, catch us online on Tuesday at www.cybertalkradio.com. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Andy from CNF Technologies. Uh, before the break, we talked a little bit about his background, about uh, some of the stuff at CNF, some stories uh, in his uh, 20 years of experience in the cyber world as well, um, sneaking in, stealing CEO laptops, and much, much more. Uh, if you've uh, just joined us now, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this uh, on our website or YouTube channel or podcasting service uh, as of Tuesday next week. Uh, check us out at www.cybertalkradio.com. If you happen to be listening to that rebroadcast, uh, thank you very much. And uh, you can catch us live on 1200 WAI on Saturday evenings. Uh, sometimes we move around. Uh, 1200 is also the uh, home of uh, our basketball team here in San Antonio. And uh, those folks uh, get airtime priority over us uh, cyber nerds. Uh, so, so uh, Andy, we had uh, promised folks we were going to dive into uh, talking about training, uh, training your maybe employees some, but also uh, if you wanted to get into IT and cyber, what type of training and things should you be doing yourself? I get that question a lot and from a lot of different people. So it's, it's hard to give a simple answer about that. It kind of depends on what you know already because um, I feel like cyber is like the upper echelon of, of what we're doing. So if in order to do cyber, you have to know everything else. You have to know all about networking, all about computers, all about applications. And then you can kind of go into those things. So anybody that works in cyber, 
you know, they often have to know, they have to know Linux, they have to know Windows, they have to know routers, they have to know everything. And it's, that's, how, that's what it's all about for cyber. So depending on where you're at in your, in your training, then that depends on how, how easy it would be to get in. Um, I've had lots of people ask me, you know, how do I do it? I don't know anything, you know. And I suggest, uh, well, I suggest you start with, you know, the internet and, and do those kind of things. Um, I've found that some people are just good at it in general. Like cyber's kind of like security in general or computers in general, kind of like being a musician. Some people, you can show them how to do it. You can train them how to do it. And they play the music. And some people are just Mozart by themselves. They just go off and do those things. Those guys, those guys are hard to find. I found one early in my career. I found one of those guys. And it was, it was an eye-opener because... He was 19 years old, and my uh, HR guy brought a resume into me, and it was written in VI, and it was mis misspelled words and all kinds of stuff. But what he was saying was talking about exploitation, and it was interesting enough that we called him in. And so we called him in, and, and me and my other guy that, that I worked with at the lab, you know, we're both you know 18 years experience and stuff. He talked over our head for an hour about exploits, and so we hired him, and he, ten dollars an hour, I think <laughs> we hired him for ten dollars an hour, you know. And, and for years, he, he did everything for us, you know, and, and no college, no degree, no nothing. He just was really good at it. He, he, know how to re he could read stuff and understand it. Aside from those guys, you know, you really do need to, like, learn how to use Linux. Uh, you can download Linux for free, and you can install it and those kind of things. Yeah. And, and I recommend doing that first, you know, and, and getting, uh, you know, getting online and looking at the instructions on how to do this or that. Yeah, and the, the Linux uh, can be, as you said, download it for free, but you can get a USB. You don't even have to reformat your computer and start over. You can get a, a USB stick, and you can install Linux on that USB stick and then just plug it into your computer. When you reboot with it plugged in, oh, it'll yeah. boot you into Linux, oh, yeah. and you can mess around with Linux, or you could you could put a a, a virtualization VM software, player. yeah, VMware player onto your computer if you've got enough storage space and stuff on there to be able to to run uh, Linux inside of a virtual machine. Yeah, virtual technology is really, really important and cool to learn stuff because you can do multiple VMs. Get yourself a good computer that has a lot of memory and a lot of uh, hard drive space, and you can do a, you can set up a whole network inside that one computer. You get two yeah. computers, and you're really doing well. Yeah, and because you can start to simulate attackers and defenders, Correct. and you can have a virtual machine that doesn't have any patches on it, so you can see how easy it is to... Yeah. exploit that and you can then apply some patches and see how stuff behaves differently so it gives you this kind of lab to be able to start going so yeah i mean you really can get going with just one computer with a reasonable amount of memory these days because i guess virtually you can even um with linux if you learn linux linux also supports virtual routers and virtual firewalls Absolutely. so you can learn all the different building blocks without having to go buy a big Correct. Expensive vendor specific router or big specific vendor, expensive vendor specific firewall or anything else. Yeah, Linux makes a good Linux makes a pretty good router and a pretty good firewall too. I use those all the time at work. Yeah. I also do the dog and pony shows now with VMware with VMware workstation or player and set up a Metasploit on one side and a victim on the other side and show how that all works all on one screen. Yeah, and uh, for those wondering what Metasploit is, I mean it's a pre setup hacking toolkit uh, you go gosh you shouldn't talk about it on the air uh, people that are looking for this stuff already know it exists so we're just going to help drive the awareness for everyone else like it's just like buying a set of lock picking tools you can go buy a set of lock picking tools from a whole bunch of places on the internet um, you may not know how to pick locks with them you can go download metasploit on the internet but you may not know how to break into computers with it but um, just like after you own a set of lock picking tools you can learn to pick locks you can Get Metasploit, you can start to learn to break into computer systems. Um, I can't 
stop people from having that access to that knowledge. So everybody out here who has high ethics and things that they'd like to protect, you need to know that people are doing this type of stuff right now. On my graduation day from college, after 25 years of going to college, I finally graduated. I locked myself out of my house the day I graduated. I had to call a lock, locksmith. Yeah, so you've learned, I, you've learned I, cyber, but not lockpicking. No, I, I watched him pick my lock, and I watched how fast he did it, and I thought, I can do that. And yeah. so I went, and next, next time um, uh, Black Hat came around, we went to Black Hat, and I bought a lockpicking, you know, learned kit. And it, that's not that hard. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it was just, uh, it was interesting how he, he opened up my door faster than I could, even with Lanky. Yeah. You know, it's, it's silly. Uh, no. whole things is silly keeps honest people honest i guess that's what a, most uh, most of the security in the world keeps honest people honest i yes. mean metasploit's not that easy to use either i don't think anybody just pick up metasploit and start using it it, it takes a while to figure it out too yeah not as long as it used to where you had you got the actual raw hack and hackers would habitually break it where it wouldn't work so you yeah. had to actually know how to program and actually go in there and find the bug and fix it for it to work and that would be that would be their little keep it out of everybody's hands kind of trick yeah yeah even even most evil hackers are not recklessly evil they're correct yeah they 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 pick where and when and how so yeah as, as andy was saying there they would go in and disable the exploit they would change a memory offset they would change something in it so it didn't work without you knowing how to go find and fix that uh, so um nowadays that stuff still happens but if you have enough money you can go buy completely done toolkits out there on the internet at this point. So most of the training we're doing for, for our purposes, for, for CDF and for our customers, center around somebody trying to break into a system electronically. So we set up laboratories where, a training laboratory where there's a traffic generator and it generates traffic. And then we have another traffic generator that generates malicious traffic. And then we send that traffic down through our IDSs, IDSs and IPSs, and we have people watch the, the traffic, just like at the ASR, the DCO kind of operations, and they're supposed to identify what those things are. And, and the development we're doing, we're doing a lot of development in uh, the Elk stack, where, where you have visualization now. So it used to be like you'd use these big CMs, uh, security devices, to, to capture all the events. Now we're, we're getting into Elk. So we're trying to teach people how to, how to view Elk screens and say, yeah, What's the difference between all this hay and that needle right there? You know? Yeah, and it's, and it can drill down to PCAPs and look at the PCAPs, and it's gibberish. It's hard to understand those kind of things. So it's all about behavior and, and how to be a, an analyst. So, in, in order to be, a, you know, how do you be a cyber analyst? How do you train? Well, you learn Linux, you learn Windows, you learn everything, and then you learn how to be like an investigator. How do you how do you see this one thing that may lead you to another thing, and then all of a sudden, hey, wait, something's going on here, and that that really is kind of a skill that it's hard to train. Some people have it instinctively. And some people have to be taught it, and it takes years to teach them. Yeah. Now, so uh, for those uh, wondering, Elk is uh, some more open source software. So it's uh, Elasticsearch, uh, Logstash, and Kibana. Um, so those are three packages when bundled together uh, make a, a really uh, great way, as Andy said, to, to visualize uh, lots of traffic data and make it easier to find needles in haystacks. To go ahead and set up that traffic generator, are you using specific hardware there, or are these just other computers running Linux? Right, so at work, we have a real traffic generator that talks about speed and does things, and we do those things for the IOP. But uh, at home and at work, uh, we use um, TCP replay, which is a tool on Linux, basically. Yeah. So Linux, again, that, 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 that tool that, that does everything, routing, switches, everything you want to possibly do, you can do with Linux. But yeah, so we set up a trap. We do TC replay, and we'll we'll send background traffic on one port, and we'll send you know these little onesies and twosies that are that are supposed to be seen by the analysts on another port. And 
the the TCP replay too is also an art. It's it's a pretty tough thing to do. You know, it's not easy to just re you can replay traffic once you get it set up, but to do it right, to have it some traffic go on one side and some traffic go on the other port, like it really does on the internet, that's really important. Um, and once you get those things, when we're doing development on, on on these kind of systems, and once you get that done, nothing really substitute for like real traffic. So. We try to do the, the as, as as real as we can generate real traffic. So so, the, yeah. so it looks like it looks like in the real world where it comes in the right port and they're talking back and forth. And and it's hard to beat a real hardware you know traffic generator with that. Yeah, because if if you think about the from a, a intrusion detection or intrusion prevention device, so these are are security cameras for the internet. Effectively, is what they are. The intrusion prevention might be not just a security camera, but kind of a guard standing there, watching. And then so the intrusion prevention has the ability to, to physically stop. Uh, traffic flow so if you're thinking about this at a building you might have security cameras and security guards sitting off somewhere not in the line where people are walking through a lobby that's intrusion detection and those folks those security guards can press a button and say hey some people that shouldn't be in the lobby are in the lobby but they can't actually stop anything um, on the intrusion prevention side this is kind of where you you've got that that guard set up and maybe you got a metal detector there and there's someone standing there and if they look at you and they decide they don't want to let you through for whatever reason they can physically stop you so um, now if you're doing these intrusion detecting and preventing and you have i'll call it just this uh just the malicious traffic is all you're sending at the system uh this is be like sending one person dressed up in a, a robber costume into the lobby of a, a building pretty easy for the security guard to go that's somebody that's not supposed to be here now, if all of a sudden you had a whole crowd pouring out of like a New York City subway and there's one bad person in all the rest of those people, you may or may not see them as they plow into the lobby and plow into the elevators of your building anymore. So as he's talking about traffic generating, it's really important uh, to um, utilize those sorts of things as you're trying to build up your security skills because you've got to be able to sort out that bad intended person from all the rest of the people all the rest of the sessions and traffic going on across that network there was a short period of time where they could actually do ip prevention really well where you could buffer the traffic at, a, at less than a gig or a gig doing from 100 megabit to a gigabit yeah and that big jump right there it was hard to do it at a gig and then they finally could do it yeah and then it went to 10 gig and then it became really hard you can't there's not enough buffers in the world to save you on a 10 gig connection where you're trying to look at every single thing before you let it pass. So yeah. most of the time it has to let it pass, you know? And, and a lot of times it doesn't see it till it's too late, you know? Yeah. And one of the thing, other thing we're looking at too is, it's one thing to catch it on the boundary, right? How do you catch it when it comes inside? When it gets into a switch and they're talking amongst themselves, when a hacker owns a system, he almost always goes laterally. He always almost goes across and tries to do different things. So another important aspect of security, I think, is, is like a honeypot or a way of, of catching someone on the inside where you can't be, you can't just be spanning every switch all the time. Like it's just too much data, right? Yeah. So you, you give them a, a honeypot out there and you monitor that honeypot. And whoever goes that honeypot's a bad guy and those kind of things. Because lateral movement's hard to find inside. And that's yeah. what hackers do. That's how you find them. You may not find them when he gets in, but you'll certainly find them when he starts compromising each system, you know. Now, it's uh, one that many folks are, are starting to do these days. And, and some of the hackers are wising up to it. But almost by the time they've exploited it it's too late yeah. uh, but uh, many businesses now say you you have a, a network with a hundred employees on that network and maybe they're all on windows 10 machines they're all patched or they're on those and some modern macs the security team there will put one windows xp system on that network <laughs> unpatched and it's an end user desktop model so no one should be connecting to it no one should be scanning it 
it's just sitting there on the network. So if it gets scanned, something malicious is going on. If it gets exploited, something real malicious is going on because that system is not an actual real system with a real employee using it. It's just there to alert you of a hacker. I mean, that would be like in your laptop example from before the break. If there was a laptop there that was set with an alarm on it and it was just sitting out for you to grab it and pick it up, and then as soon as you picked it up, two security guards walked up Correct. and grabbed you. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was a, it was a decoy. The, those, those low-hanging fruit things are bad. Uh, we had a company one time that called us. We were, we were monitoring their network. We'd, we'd scan them every month and, and do these tests on them every month. That was a pretty good-sized company. And one day they called us and said, hey, we're in trouble. There's something going on. And we went over there, and there was this huge worm. There was a, a time when the worms were going on. It was a huge yeah. worm going on. And, we, and, we, and they were telling us, this is costing us like $100,000 every minute. And so they're, with the CEO and all this staff standing right behind us as we're trying to stop this live thing going on. And it's, you know, sweating coming down again. And so we were able to stop it, you know. And then we go do triage and find out what happened. They had, had, they had put a, a, work, uh, a, a workstation in the lobby where the, uh, the break room for people to can use any time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's, how, that's where it happened. That, they got in there and went all around the company and, and infected the entire company. Because that one little low-hanging fruit out there in the break room is what got them. Yeah. Yeah. Note, listeners, the key difference here between Andy's story and then the piece that I talked about, I said there was a company that had nice, updated, patched Windows 10 machines, some updated and patched Macs, and they put this one vulnerable system onto their network. Because if you add a vulnerable system to your network and you have other vulnerable systems, Terrible things like that situation there that Andy described happen is that vulnerable system gets hacked and it gets hacked with Slammer or Blaster Slammer's or probably a, one of the other worms yeah. from back in the day. In this case, a bad timing, right? Very, very bad timing because, yeah, that um, flooded networks completely with what's uh, called a denial of service attack. But this is kind of an internal denial of service and it just all of your machines were flooding packets across the network, making it unable to, to do much of anything. Uh, oh, it was terrible. A lot of the, the clean out for that one required people going and physically unplugging Ethernet ports uh, back then because there wasn't Wi-Fi. Um, man, Slammer, I hadn't even thought about that. Something <laughs> like Slammer on Wi-Fi, all of your access points would just, just keel over these days. It was pretty awful. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so... We've talked about learning the cybersecurity stuff. So, I mean, yeah, get yourself a computer you can run some VMware Player on or VMware Workstation uh, or go spend eight bucks and buy a USB that you can install Linux on. Start messing around with Linux, learning some of that stuff. Um, You might go down the the certification path and route. You could get a Linux Plus certification. You could go learn some computer programming. There's not really very many good computer programming certifications out there. Um, That's just one. You can go to college and get a computer science degree. Um, You can go to a community college and take some computer programming classes and kind of show some formal education around computer programming. Uh, but as you move into the cybersecurity world, uh, you could show that you have some experience in Cyber Patriot if you're in middle school or high school. I guess if you're at college, they've got the uh, Collegiate Cyber Cup that you could go join those sorts of teams to show you have some cyber experience. Uh, when you are out there hiring, uh, looking for cyber operators, are there certain things that you said? I mean, because you've got like down to the, the kid that wrote his resume in VI. Um, to uh, the formal education side of stuff, what is a, a way there that you, you may look to identify somebody? Yeah, that's one of, the, one of the biggest challenges is identifying, you know, my, my boss is really good. Fred's really good at, at like looking at a resume and knowing if he, what he can do and what he can't do. I'm not so good at that, but he's good at it. But, but identifying someone's talent 
doesn't often come across on a resume as far as cyber goes. So, and also the training you provide that person depends on how, how, what he knows. You can send someone to a really expensive sand class, sands class and waste a lot of money on someone that, that wasn't supposed to go there or wasn't ready to go there. He just thought it looked cool, you know. And those are $6,000, $8,000 classes. Yeah. So you got to be, as a company, we can't send everybody to SANS. You have to be selective on who we're going to send. Um, so, but we also try to do in-house training. Um, they do it through me a lot. They'll, they'll put the new guys in my room and stuff. A lot of times, if a per person's going to do a certain job, it'll be my, kind of my responsibility, my, my, my lab's responsibility to make sure they get where they're going uh, and see where they're at and see where they're going. So there's all the, all the certifications and all the trainings and, and all the online stuff. These days, you're lucky you have, you have the Internet. You can actually go online and learn stuff all by yourself. And, and uh, persistence is good, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing with, with hacking. Persistence is a lot better than knowing what you're doing. If you're persistent, you'll get in. And the same thing with learning. If you're persistent, you can learn. Yeah. So uh, uh, one of the things I heard there is, is find a mentor. Like, as you said, at, at your company, new folks come in. They hang out with you for a while. All of a sudden, between them naturally exploring things and you having worked with folks for a long time, you figure out what they're good at. And do they go down the analyst route? Because some people will go up to super senior analysts where like they are the best at finding needles in haystacks and, and uh, tracing it all the way back to the to the root source and figuring out really who was this, why, and, and they get really excited about that. And then you've got folks on the, the other side of things that can surveil hundreds or thousands of prospective targets to figure out where's the weak point you're going to use to get into to some network and, and be able to find some data source and exfiltrate it. Absolutely. And then you get these horrible situations like where I was at with the AFSERT. I could do it. I could do the monitoring. I just didn't like it. It was too boring for me. I didn't like to sit there and just watch that all day long. I wanted to do something else. And yeah. so I got... I spent all that money getting me there, and I realized that it wasn't something I actually wanted to do. I wanted to do the attack side more, you know. And plus, when people come, I come train people at CNF, they're more than happy to go to their job after being around me for a while. I run them off really quick. They, I, can be a, I can be pretty hard. I'm not a very good trainer. See, yeah. if, I, if I train you, I'm looking over your shoulder, and I'm trying to show you something, I'm more likely just to say, move. Yeah. <laughs> so as you, you go through and look at... Uh, all this stuff. So you've got software developers that need to learn to write secure code. You really probably have to go to the university first to learn to write code or spend a bunch of time self-training. I mean, there's Code Academy and lots of things out there um, to learn secure coding. Uh, I mean, it's really hanging around with cybersecurity guys for a while and watching what they do to your code, watching how they think, and then learning all the edge cases that they will find programming that into some testing stacks um <laughs> there's certain things out there now um some application security testing tools uh, that are open sourced as well yeah. uh that can help you not make some basic mistakes it's or, a hard nut to crack uh, yeah it's a hard one input validation is really tough uh, malloc is a little easier trying to make sure we don't uh, misallocate memory yeah but you could spend months on input validation who knows what they're going to give you and what it's going to do to your system you know yeah, uh, we did a class like that. We made a class about a, a very, very unique class on how to do secure development. Yeah. But the problem was that the development tools matured so fast that we can only teach the class once before we had to tr change all the software again. It just became too hard to maintain. Yeah, and and because software development as well, you can be writing secure code yourself, but um, almost no code is written on a, an island uh, these <laughs> days. 
It's using libraries, libraries and yeah. dependencies um, all the way down through to the operating system. And as we've seen lately with Spectre and some of these other things, all the way down to the, the hardware processing chips. I mean, we've been tracking down race conditions on the software side of things for years, but now there's race conditions in the, the hardware. So you could write what you thought was perfectly safe software, and there's still problems further down. And, and then how do you rewrite your software to deal with weaknesses beneath it? So that's a, a long one that can go through years of, of training on its own. On the, the operating system and network security side of things, like to, to go from being able to run and operate those systems to being able to secure them, what... What type of things do you think folks should do from training perspective? Yeah, so the there? same, so the same thing. You can go grab a Ubuntu or a, or a CentOS or, or even a Windows. You install it on a VMware, and you set up an Apache. Do a LAMP installation. Look up LAMP and, and do a do a Apache uh, installation. Be a network you know person where you're going to serve out web. You know, so you make one and then you you put your firewall and you figure out how to do your firewall and then you can go on the other side and attack it and see if you can get into it. So that's again that's one of those things where. You have to know so many things to do really good cybersecurity. So we set up our own servers all the time to, to test them, for sure. Yeah. Um, so that knowledge of setting it up helps you understand how to get into it, understanding what the, the ports opened up, what other ports are opened up, those kind of things. So, so how access to the system, all those, all those good things are learned when you actually build systems and you actually put a, a web server out there. Yeah. So you've been listening to CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. I've been joined this week by Andy, who's the CTO of CNF Technologies, a cybersecurity company here in San Antonio, Texas. We've gone through some different learning and training here in this side of the program, told some stories in the first half of uh, our program, uh, and you can catch the whole thing on our website on Tuesday, April the 17th at www.cybertalkradio.com, as well as our, our YouTube channel, uh, our Facebook page, our Twitter, uh, or on iTunes podcasts or Pocket Casts or whatever your favorite podcasting service is on your Android devices. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Andy, and hopefully this interview uh, will turn out better than your <laughs> previous uh, interview so you will uh, come back and be a guest with us again here in the future. I look very much forward to that. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you, and uh, thank you for being involved in Cyber Patriot and coaching there. And uh, if you uh, just joined us right before we're going off the air, Please look up Cyber Patriot and learn about that. If you've uh, a parent here in the area, uh, get your kids involved. Uh, get your school to uh, get a Cyber Patriot team. If they can have a football team, they should have a Cyber Patriot team.